Never underestimate a badass basic bitch. I'm Courtney. I'm done fitting into what everybody else needs me to fit into. And I'm Brianna. You are the only one that can make this change. We're here to bring you the Badass Basic Bitch Podcast. We're going to share the untold stories and dive deep into the shit nobody talks about. Buckle up, we're totally unfiltered, about to get very sassy and inviting you into some of our most intimate conversations. Welcome Welcome to to the Baddie Bee Club. So I have that, that kind of like split second in time, you know, the car's coming at me really quickly. The driver's not looking at the road. I know that there's going to be an accident. And I remember hitting, you know, my head to the side forward on the steering wheel. So I have that like moment suspended in time. And I have that thought of, I don't have time for this today. Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. Today, we have Dr. Mallory Fox, who is a 35-year-old doctor of health sciences. She is a fitness and yoga junkie from Scottsdale, Arizona. And after experiencing trauma of her own and suffering from an invisible illness, she is going to take us through how she learned how to slow down, reestablish control of her life through mindfulness and movement. So Dr. Mallory Fox, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast and it's just a dream come true to get to chat with you and hopefully help some people. Yay. Well, we love that. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, maybe a little bit of a deeper background about who is Mallory. Well, I grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've lived here my whole life, so I cannot do cold weather. Um, (laughs) I grew up as a competitive swimmer, and that's what got me into the health and fitness world. I've been a health and fitness professional for about 17 years now. And before my accident, I used to work, you know, 12 hours a day. I ran half marathons. I had a very active life. I loved to volunteer. I was constantly just on the go. And then I had this thing happen to me. I was driving on my way to work and this thing kind of just happened and it changed the course of my life. And when you say thing, it was a car accident. Mm -hmm. What, what happened? So I had taught yoga at my husband's Air Force base. He's active duty. And I would teach yoga every Tuesday and Thursday morning. So this happened on a Tuesday morning. I was driving from yoga to my office and I was at a stoplight. I glanced in my rearview mirror and I saw this SUV really rapidly approaching me. Just instinctively, I knew that it was about to hit me. So I tried to get my car out of the way and I didn't. In the moment between seeing the accident about to happen to when the impact happened, I remember thinking, I don't have time for this today. Hmm. I don't have time for this today. And I've actually been in like probably way too many accidents. And I have heard, I don't know if statistically if this is accurate, so don't take my word for it. But I've actually heard that if you can see an accident happening, it's actually worse for you because you tense up your body and then Mm -hmm. it hits rather if your body is like loose and it hits and it like allows that momentum to happen. So you probably like were really tense. But that also speaks so much to 
mentally where you were at at that time. That's because you're not thinking like, okay, this is like going to be really traumatic. This can be really bad. You're literally thinking like, I don't have time to deal with this. Like I don't have time to go and call the insurance. I'm assuming that's what you meant. Like to, to undergo all the steps, which just shows how busy you were and how, where your mind was at, which it sounds like it's a very far place from where your mind is now. Um, as far as being super present, um, like we like we're going to talk about today, but that is such an interesting thought to That's have. A had. Great catch! And when you start <laughs> saying that too, I was thinking too, like it. It's such a good analogy for so many things that happen in life, in a way, because not mm-hmm. to get too you know crazy deep down a rabbit hole, but I think when someone says seeing the accident, like you can see an accident approaching, whether it's a relationship or something at work, isn't it true? You can see the accident happening, but you can't necessarily brace yourself for that impact of what it's going to be like and and what that's going to cause in your life. But anyways, that just kind of like, where like, I'm at, it just yeah. sort of like weirdly resonates in like a different way. Yeah. Not literal, but like, yeah, that is so true. You can see the accent coming. Like you see this thing approaching in your mirror and you're just like, you kind of tense up and brace for the impact, but you couldn't have ever actually prepared for what that would have meant for your life in that moment. You could think metaphorically or physically, I don't have time to deal with this. Like, what are we doing here? But then what really occurred next was was more than just, I don't have time to deal with this, right? Mm-hmm. Courtney, I got chills when you shared that because it's so true. You know, we're going about life and these things can happen, right? In a relationship or, you know, in the world. And and we we don't know what's going to happen after the impact, so to speak. Yeah. And it was just the, the way that you said it was just like so eerie and like so true because it's, you can be sitting in your car, which is kind of like your yourself and your life and your world. And you're seeing this car, whether it's in front of you or behind you approaching. And you know, like you said, in your instinct, like this is about to be an accident, but you try to get your car yourself out of the way and you can't always do that. You know, like it's just, yeah. That yeah. just hit me. <laughs> that hit different. Like that, that was a that's whole like, other like. But it's but tangent. You but. summer. Okay, podcast is done. Yeah, good job, Courtney. Summarized. Yes. <laughs> so nice to meet you. Yeah. Welcome back. We'll see you next time on the Bad Me Club. No, but seriously. So that was it, that's that was just so deep. Really true, <laughs> though. Like that really, it really is true. Not like uh, as you're talking about that, I'm starting to think about all of the times in my life where I'm like. Fuck yes. Like that is mm-hmm. so true. So and and I don't know about you or anyone listening, but you know, before my accident, I was very type A. I was a high achiever. You know, I always had tons of things going on and I was really well equipped to handle, you know, life, so to speak. So it really caught me off guard that, you know, this accident took me out for for so long. And I'm still recovering from my injuries even three years later. So I think that there's a really common way, especially for women, for us to have like these really high expectations of ourselves to cope and to deal and to move on. And so even though I had every tool to help me get through this, one of the hardest parts about experiencing it was that I didn't recover as quickly as I expected to and as I wanted to. Physically and mentally, right? Yeah. The mental part was even harder because... My work ethic before that had always gotten me through anything difficult. And I really expected, I had that mental expectation to just bounce back and to move forward and to heal. And when that didn't happen, you know, it caused a whole slew of other, other events and issues. So I think though that the key word there is to actually heal. 
Because mm-hmm. again, taking it back to exactly what you're talking about and then all the way into the analogy that we were discussing earlier, which is like having this happen on more of like less literal and more of an emotional level. It's I have noticed in, through past experiences, if you do get up and you move on and you get over something and it's, it's a week later, it's going to come back a year later. And same could be said about what you were doing, whether it was physical, mental, all of it. If you do try to push through instead of actually going through it and healing and doing it the right way, it's going to reemerge later. Like it's going to come back later. And I think the same thing could be said, not only physically, but emotionally. If you don't, if you just, you know, go on with your life, because nobody can really heal that fast. Like what you're saying, there's this weird stigma um, with our society where we're like, get over it. Like you got to move on. Such a good point because one of my pet peeves especially for children, because when I was going through my divorce and it was a high conflict, high trauma divorce, everyone would say like, isn't it amazing how resilient children are? Isn't it amazing how resilient you are? And I'm like, they're not resilient. They're malleable. Your brain is not resilient. It's malleable. It doesn't, resilience is a bounce back. Malleable is bending into a different shape. Mm. And when you're malleable, you can then bend it to another shape. And so when your brain is squished or impacted and there's trauma there, it's not going to ever bounce back to how you are normally. And I think there's this stigma of like, if I could just get back to how I felt when I was 25, or if I could just get back to how I felt before this relationship, it, you'll never succeed. And it also negates the lesson though. It, like negates, it negates the lesson. what you learned. If you, yeah. Mallory, if you would have gone back to just doing exactly what you were doing before, you wouldn't have taken anything positive from such a hard negative situation. You wouldn't have taken the mindfulness. You would have just ended up doing what you were always doing. And th- that just to me seems like a, it's a waste almost. It's like, you know, the situation's hard and we never hope these things happen. But if after all that, you take zero away, away from it, it's just feels like it was for nothing. Well, I think you know? society expects a bounce back. And instead what we need to rethink is How do you mold yourself differently using the experiences that you've had to be some different shape instead of bouncing back? And not doing the same things. I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. So what if, as fucked up as it is, what if the impacts that happen to us are like these stopping points of of inflection in a way? I hate to ever think anything happens like that for any reason, but it's, it's after the fact, if it had, if it happened as it did after the fact, how can we look back and reflect back on it and what can we take? And I feel like do with that. if we use it as a stop, it's like, even within relationships, I feel like there's the age old, like the quickest way to get over somebody is to get under somebody new. And it's like, is it though? Or is it just mm-hmm. the quickest way to suppress everything you're feeling until it bubbles up later? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So with you, Mallory, you went through a physical trauma and an emotional Mm -hmm. trauma. The physical trauma is, so you're in this accident. We never, I don't think we, we fully got what what happened in the accident. Like you said that you have a TBI, but what Mm -hmm. actually happened? Like walk us through that. And can you tell people that don't know what a TBI is? Yeah. Cause most people don't. What that is. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a TBI, I had a mild traumatic brain injury and that Generally, it can happen from, you know, hitting your head. Um, it can even just happen from having the head be shaken. So, you know, when the other vehicle hit me and my head snapped forward, 
you know, that's likely when the TBI occurred. And um, so I have that, that kind of like split second in time, you know, the car's coming at me really quickly. The driver's not looking at the road. I know that there's going to be an accident. And I remember hitting, you know, my head to the side forward on the steering wheel. So I have that like moment suspended in time. And I have that thought of, I don't have time for this today. And then right after that, everything accelerates. So, you know, dealing with the scene at the accident and, you know, in my head, I needed to go to work. I had clients already scheduled. You know, I'm, I'm messaging clients, letting them know that, you know, I needed to cancel my nine o'clock appointment once it became evident that I wouldn't be able to get to work on time. You know, so there's that underlying, here's everything that I have to deal with now, thanks to this accident. And I remember having that moment of thinking, you know, gosh, like, thank goodness I'm okay. Thank goodness I'm not hurt worse. There are no broken bones. There's no blood. You know, I felt very grateful and lucky and stressed. (laughs) But, you know, I went through the day. um, I declined to have paramedics come out because again, you know, I didn't have any visible injuries. And then within about four hours after leaving the scene of the accident, I developed a headache. And at that point, I called my primary care doctor and uh, tried to get an appointment with him. And his office was full for a couple of weeks. My husband asked if I wanted to go to the emergency room. I said, no, they're just going to you know, put me through an exam and then send me on my way. So I made an appointment with a different doctor for the next day. I was really glad that I did because when I woke up the next morning, I couldn't even lift my head off of the pillow. So that, yeah, it was, it was a really weird, again, like that little moment in time that I remember my eyes are open, my alarm has, is going off and I try to move and I can't move. And as a very mobile, active person, it was kind of like, what's going on right here. It was very scary. Scary. Yeah. That's probably really scary. And that's probably happened instantly, but it's interesting because it's, it's almost like the adrenaline of that and the societal Mm -hmm. conditioning of like, go, go, go had almost brought out the, was your reaction to the trauma, the trauma itself in a weird way? Cause I feel like it was, it's almost like Mm. your instant reaction of like, I'm good. Let's go. Like that almost like is the trauma in some interesting way. Yeah. And that's how I survived my life up to that point. You know, I had a, an attitude as a competitive swimmer, you know, you don't stop because things are painful or because they get hard. Like you just push through it and you just keep going. And that was definitely my mindset, you know, leading up to this accident and in the aftermath after of, I just need to wait a couple of weeks when I saw the doctor you know, I was diagnosed with severe whiplash, um, a lot of soft tissue injuries. And he said, you might have a concussion, which is a form of mild traumatic brain injury. And so I asked, okay, what am I allowed to do for the next two weeks? Because I'm not going to just sit on the couch. And so I got my doctor's clearance of what I could do and, and shouldn't do. And he said, you know, if in two weeks you aren't feeling better, you know, come back or see a neurologist. So I just had in my mind, you know, I'm going to take good care of myself for the next two weeks. I'll be back to normal and I'll go on with life. And that didn't happen. Over the next two weeks, my physical injuries started to feel better. But, you know, I had dizziness. I had nausea. I had double vision. I had 
uh, migraine that took 10 months to go away. And I had all of these other brain-related symptoms that weren't resolving. So then I went and saw a neurologist and I started physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy. Again, I was like, you know, that good student mindset. I'm going to do all of the things to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And I'm going to, you know, wake up at some point in the near future and be better. About 10 weeks after my accident, I saw another specialist who discovered that my eye had moved in the crash and my brain had essentially shut my left eye off. I was testing legally blind in my left eye. And that was really the first moment where I was like, oh shit, <laughs> like I'm not just going to wake up tomorrow and be okay. Like this is serious. That's crazy. Yeah. But you're legally blind. I think you were legally blind for six months, right? Eventually your eyesight came back. The PTSD of everything is still there. And it's interesting because you're talking about all these things, but then you're also like, okay, like I, I still can be good, right? Like I can still set my goals. I can still, you know, this is a temporary setback, but I need to go, 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 go. And I so, think that's very true about any type of illness. We're just like, okay, what do I have to do to check the boxes, get better, move on? And then- Well, and that's what I was saying earlier. I think partially that's our reaction yeah. to not actually digesting what's going on. For anything. That's like the mm -hmm. knee jerk reaction to like, okay, but you're gonna, I'm going to be good, right? Like- cool. Like I can go through these 10 steps, but I'm going to be good. Right. Like even when, even yeah. when we found out my dad had cancer, like it started out pretty bad already, but it was kind of like, okay, like, well, what do we need to do to get you better? Like it's going to be good. Right. Like it's, I think like that's our human sort of protection mechanism in many regards. It's mm -hmm. like, well, what do I need to do? But this is, this is so interesting because this is not what I expected going into this episode at all for this to like have so many other like these deeper like layered meanings. But I keep thinking through, you should write a book by the way, because I keep thinking when you speak for whatever reason, the way that you say things is super visual for me. Yeah. Like the way that you phrase things ends up like being this really like... You articulate it. Very yeah. You articulate it so well that it's like uh, bringing up things in me that I feel like are really interesting and, and interesting. But... For me, I say interesting and interesting. That's nice. Um, it can be interesting and interesting. Interesting and interesting. For me, I was just thinking there's these like, we could do a whole podcast on phrases that should be debunked. We're all of similar age. Do you guys remember those books, Amelia Bedelia? Did you ever read those? Yeah. So it, the premise mm -hmm. is essentially like, she takes everything super literally. So mm. if someone's like, all right, you got to go and like, you know, do X, Y, Z. She's literally doing the exact like it's everything is literal and it's like all these funny stories about how she takes things. And in so many ways, like, again, what a weird metaphor for our society, because I feel like what you said earlier, like you don't stop, don't stop if you're in pain, like keep going. And if you really think about some of the things that we're constantly being told, they're just not true. In essence, yes. Like don't, don't quit. Don't give up. Like keep going, keep pushing. Everything through. Like, happens for a reason. Like that's like, true. Right. But like, don't stop if you're in pain. It's like, fuck that. Like stop if you're in pain. Like there, there is a point where it's like, you know, you should absolutely, if you are in emotional, mental pain, like you should absolutely stop for a minute and reflect on that. If you are in physical pain, you should probably get that checked out. You know what I mean? Like, well, this is okay. So to this point, Olympics, Simone, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I wrote this little post on my LinkedIn saying, 
you know, thank you for giving me something that I can teach my daughter because I, this lesson of you're in control of your body, you can, you can say when you want to stop and it's all about your mental and physical health before pleasing other people. I would take that over a gold medal any day as yes. a story. And it, it, but it is a yes. opposite side of a coin of something we've always been told. You got here to the Olympics, like push yourself. Like, why aren't you? Well, th- but they that's were calling her not the right answer. a disgrace. They were calling her a disgrace to the country. You, how could you, you're not mm-hmm. a top premier athlete if you're not willing to push through the pain. Like, how it's old is actually she? the opposite, right? But it's totally. in reality, it's the complete opposite is you are top at what you do because you have the awareness to know well, what's important and what's but not. But that's what's the problem with our society right. is the messaging is wrong. I 100% agree. You know, it's so interesting you mentioned Simone Biles because, you know, when, when that happened um, just about a month ago, I was so touched and I was so grateful because I know how hard it is to say, even just to people close to me, hey, I'm not okay because society expects us to be okay. You know, and if you're not okay, put a smile on your face, you know, walk out that door and, you know, pretend like you're okay. And I think it really shows to, you know, the depth of, there's a saying that I'll I'll butcher because I don't remember it exactly, but it. It speaks to how, um, you know, someone can't always understand what you're going through if they've never experienced it. And that's what I really find to be true with invisible illnesses like what I had, a traumatic brain injury. My brain injury was not visible. Um, I was very lucky that, you know, I, I didn't have, you couldn't look at me and know that my brain was hurt and that I was blind in one eye and that you know, at one point, my brain was processing information at the speed of a kindergartner. You couldn't look at me and know that. And there are many invisible illnesses that are physical, like fibromyalgia, other autoimmune disorders. And there are a lot of invisible illnesses like depression and anxiety and other, other mental health concerns that, you know, someone can't look at you and recognize that you're going through something and that you might need support. I think in a weird way, that's it's been almost like delegitimized in our society in some ways. Like there are still people that don't know that depression and anxiety are real in the way that they are. There are still some people that again, it's like, just pick yourself up, be positive today. You can do it. And you're like people who have true depression and anxiety, like mm-hmm. that's just not yeah. necessarily, I don't know, like always, always a possibility. And so I think sometimes if you can't see it, you can't understand it. And the expression that you said a minute ago, which is essentially like you can't understand unless you've walked a mile in someone else's shoes. It's that is actually Mm -hmm. a true statement to anything. You can understand loss, but you can't understand it unless you've had a very similar, almost exact situation. You can understand trauma, but you can't understand truly what that person's going through. If you, you and I have both been through trauma, they're still different. You you know what I mean? It's just every person's situation is different. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you felt this with the divorce, but you have people being like, oh, I got divorced when I was X, Y, Z. And, you know, it's all fine. And you're like, okay, but here's my situation. And it's different. Or same with someone passing. I'll never forget. I had so many people when my dad passed being like, oh, I I just had like a grandparent pass. I totally get it. And it's like, no, you don't because it's not the same thing. Just like it wouldn't be the same thing for a parent as it would if your child passed. Like it, I couldn't understand that in the way that someone else... Yeah. You know, so it's all so different. I love that point that you made because 
it's also different. I think that's something that people can be more mindful about is when approaching something rather than trying to put up a comparative situation, maybe say like, or even, you know, I have gone through X, Y, Z, but I can't imagine necessarily what you've been through, how difficult that may have been. Like, is there anything I can do? How can I help? Phrasing it in a way that isn't so presumptuous of like, I've been there. It's like, oh, I've been in a car accident. It's like, yeah, you know what I mean? It's just people often try mm-hmm. to like compare trauma. It's a weird... Yeah. I think maybe because it's awkward, yeah. you know, and you're like trying to find some even ground to say, you're not alone in this. I was there too in some form or another. And so I think people are trying to... Relate. Relate and connect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels awkward. <laughs> yeah. I love what you shared about, you know, just empathetic ways to respond. And I completely agree. Um, You know, we don't like to have uncomfortable conversations in our society. You know, when I ask someone how they're doing, I might be really shocked if someone told me how they were actually doing. (laughs) That happens at the grocery store. People are like, how are you? And I feel like everyone's like, good. And then you occasionally ask for me, like, how are you? And they're like, well, like today actually this happened and it like shocks you. Like I wasn't really asking how you were. <laughs> like that's what it feels like sometimes, you know, we're just yeah. expecting this. Like it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, hey, oh, hey, hey back. Like I'm good. What's really funny is towards the end of my marriage, I didn't want to leave the house at times because it was just hard. I completely understand anxiety and depression. And I just was overwhelmed with all of the commitments that I had going on. And one of those was sending these products and samples out for this new business storefront that we had just opened. But one of the things that helped me through all of that was stamps.com. I felt like I was able to keep on top of things and avoid going to the post office, waiting in the long lines and everything that comes with sending mail. It was easy. I just weighed what I wanted to send out on my own digital scale, printed the shipping labels directly at home, and then did an easy drop off. I loved it. And there's no risk. You can go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and use our promo code BADDYB. You can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and your own digital scale. There are no long-term commitments or contracts. During this time, I was having a shitty day. I have a couple of very close friends that are from the UK. And one in particular, one day I was having a, a shit day. And she went to drop something off at my house and she saw me and she just looked at me and said, you good? Because that's how they ask, how are you? They just, you say like, you good? I just looked at her and I started crying because it was like, I was like, no, I'm not good. Yeah. And I thought she had read something on my face that looked like I was not doing well. But if she was like, how are you doing? I'd be like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. But it's like, I just thought that was funny because she was just like, okay, okay, let's just figure this yeah. out together. Like, what do I need to do to help you through this? But to your point, Mallory, not a lot of people feel comfortable or know how to ask for help when their illness is invisible. How do we break down that bear? Like, how did you ask for help? How did you break through that like comfort zone? Because that's hard. It was really hard. So thank you for acknowledging that and asking that. Because I think that a lot of people might know that they need help and not know how to get it. And that's where I was. I was in therapy and I had this incredible psychotherapist. And I was just sharing, you know, what was going on with you know, being legally blind and not being able to drive and all this stuff. And there was a point where she just 
waited until I was done talking. And then she said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, you might be in denial right now about how you're actually doing. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to be here. And the doctors say I'll make a full recovery. And and then all of a sudden, I just kind of realized like, but I'm actually not okay. And that was the first time that was maybe four months after my accident. I realized I'm not okay. And I'm doing all of these things to get help. You know, I'm seeing all of these incredibly intelligent professionals. At one point, I had a total of 12 different therapists because um, I mentioned I'm an overachiever. I had a speech therapist. I had an occupational therapist, a physical therapist. I had a vision therapist. You know, I had all of these incredible people who were helping me. And I felt really helpless at the time. Like, okay, wait, what's going on? So I didn't even know how to recognize at first that I needed help. And I didn't know how to ask for help when it came to that. So that was one of the things that maybe six months after my injury, I addressed with one of my therapists. And she said, just start with asking for something really, really small. So, you know, before my injury, I was someone who never wanted or needed help. You know, I liked doing things on my own. I knew I'm a bit of a control freak. I knew that if I did it, it would get done right. And it would be the way I wanted it to be done. So she's like, when was the last time you ever asked anybody for help, you know, in your whole life? And it was hard for me to come up with an example. So she said, start with something really, really small. Like ask your husband to bring you home apples from the grocery store. Yeah, because we can't get to like a big ask if we haven't like done the reps. Like at the gym, you know, you can't start bench pressing 300 pounds like if you've never done a bench press exercise before. So you've got to start with something really small and build up the reps and eventually work to asking for, you know, the bigger things. I really like that. That's a great tip because it's very true. I have a very hard time asking people for help. I grew up where my parents pinned me against each other. So if I ever asked someone, they would like gaslight and blame the other person or, and it, it just got to the point where I'm like, like my family's motto for me is I can do it myself. Like, cause I'll just do it myself. And my therapist gave me a very similar advice to that when I started having, going through my divorce and going through other traumas during that time. And, and I was just like, how do I possibly ask for somebody to help me through this fuckery? How do I ask? And she was like, no, no, no. Just ask like for something small and then work your way up. And it really did make me feel a lot more comfortable. Well, now I'm much more vulnerable with like my friends and my Super family. tangible advice, which is really nice. Yeah, I love that. I saw something the other day in this. It made me think of it when you're just talking. And this is so true. I, I read something or I was listening to something. They're talking about how when kids are younger, this is kind of what you're saying. When kids are younger, how you respond to them is super impactful. So tantrums, anything is literally just like them trying to express emotion of some sort. And when as adults, we say, you're too loud, you're too much, you're like, get a move on, you're being dramatic, like, can we, whatever. We're telling them, don't express yourself to me. And then kids grow up and they turn into teenagers and we're like, why aren't you expressing yourself to me? It's like, well, because for the whole first half of my life, you know, you said, don't express yourself to me essentially. And now all of a sudden you expect me to confide my 
deepest, darkest secrets in you with you, within you, but it's kind of what you're saying, which is like, so you true. learned this re- in response to you were doing something. You got a response back. You were malleable. Yeah. And you evolved your response to that to work with what you had, which was, I can't ask for help. Can't express my emotions or whatever it is. And then obviously that we do that as teenagers and as, and as an adult. So, so much of life is about your freaking childhood. I've like really learned. So, been thinking about so this it's funny you say this because my kids are in play therapy and literally we just had this conversation, Courtney, where I, sometimes if I get really worked up, like I have like sound bites. And one of my sound bites is like, you're just, you're too much right now. I say that a lot. And I said that once in play therapy because like my child was, to my opinion, being too much with their <laughs> screaming. And the play therapist like took me aside later on. We do like regroups and she goes, okay, instead of saying you're too much right now, try saying it's really hard for me to understand you when you're screaming. Ooh, good. And yeah. I was just like, yes, because that is what I mean. And she's like, but that is not what your child hears. Yeah, that's so good. And I'm so like, good. fuck, that's good. That's really and good. And it's like, think about how you're being perceived on the other side because I would hate it if someone, like if me and Courtney were in a little much. battle and she yeah. was like, you're too much right now. I'd be like, fuck, I'm too much. You want to see too much? <laughs> yeah, totally. Or like, and the deeper underneath the attitude would be that it hurt your feelings. It would hurt my feelings. And so at the end of the day, I think mm-hmm. too, if you're a parent and you're listening, like obviously I am not an expert. I have one, but at the same time I have one and I've had that experience. Yeah. And for me, it it also looks like that's never too late to change how you are communicating with your kids, with other people, change those things. So like you're saying, instead of like, oh, you're being so dramatic, which like they can be dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> as anyone can. But instead of that, it's like, like you're saying, Hey, like, can you slow down and, and do you need attention? Can I help you? What, what is a way that like, how can I better understand what you're saying? Can you help me? Can you try and explain it a different way? Like, I don't know the right terms, but something other than that to get to the same point, but we're human beings. So obviously when we get frustrated, that's just like the knee jerk reaction. But I think it's different saying something one time, two times, rather than having that be like you said, like the soundbite if you hear something every day, like eventually you're going to think you're too loud, you're too dramatic, you're too much. Don't, don't open up to me. And then all of a sudden they get to 13 and we're like, why aren't they opening up to us? Why don't they tell us anything? It's, it's very true. I am curious though, Mallory, maybe you can help me to understand this better is when you have an invisible illness, but somebody doesn't know, like, how do you manage that expectation? Because like, if I just met you and I was trying to talk to you as a coworker and I can be too much sometimes, using my own words, um, where I'm like very, very fast paced and I want people to get there and understand. And if your like brain at the time was moving for a kindergarten, I'd be like, what is mm-hmm. happening? Like, how, how do you educate someone or how do they, like, how do you- Inform. Yeah. How do you yeah. inform? Yeah. That is such, you guys have such great questions. I love this. (laughs) Um, So my husband and I went through that because we'd been married for four months when this accident happened. You know, I came home, not a scratch on me. I looked, yeah, very early. And, you know, in a short period of time, I completely changed. I was really independent. I was very, you know, I would basically do all of his errands for him because I was very efficient. You know, I took care of everything. We both worked full time, but I 
you know, I took on a lot of the home stuff and, and then one, one day I couldn't and wouldn't do that. And he would ask me a question and it took my brain a long time to process what he was saying. And, um, there were points where I'd have to ask him, you know, if he was say washing the dishes and trying to have a conversation with me, my brain was getting so distracted by the sound of dishes clinking and, you know, the visual stimuli, I still had double vision. So there were suddenly two or three of him and like everything was just so magnified um, that everything in the world was too much for me all of the time. And I had no escape. And so, you know, it was very hard for him to understand because again, I looked exactly the same. He didn't understand what was going on. And even, you know, when he went to my appointment with my neurologist, you know, the neurologist would tell him, okay, this is what's happening with your wife. And he might understand it in his head. But then, you know, when life happens and we're dealing with the conversation in our kitchen, he didn't understand. He didn't get it. Uh, what I've learned to do throughout, you know, if I'm meeting somebody new, sometimes I'll share what's going on and I'll share, here's what I can do. And here's what I'm still working on doing. Um, So if there's an environment where it's safe to do that and to let people know they're essentially boundaries or here's what you can expect from me. I've learned how to do that really well, Um, whether it's work projects, whether it's with clients because I own my own business or whether it's, you know, family and friends. I've personally found like the family and friend relationships are the hardest to manage because they're the ones that have the most... um, previous history with me. Yeah. I was going to say different than someone new coming into your life because they don't have a preconceived notion of who and what you are supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it can be, you know, I'll, I'll just be really you know blunt with an example from my life. I really struggle um, even to this day, like having dinner out. And especially, you know, during this pandemic, there are different circumstances. So there's now, you know, we wear masks when we go out. So I have a different thing dealing with my visual field. You know, the mask can kind of exacerbate my vision issues. So going out into a restaurant where there's a lot of people talking, you know, there's a lot of silverware clinking, there's a lot of movement, like those are things that can still trigger some of my physical issues. And so when I'm you know, making plans with friends, you know, I'll have to explain to them, hey, I'd love to go to happy hour with you. Is there any chance that we can pick, you know, a quieter restaurant versus, I don't know, Chili's happy hour? (laughs) I think that's something that is sort of an automatic filtration of good people in your life because you are Mm -hmm. so beautifully like articulate within how you say things. Like it's not hard to understand what you're asking for if you're actually listening. I think it's just probably comes to a point where it's like, is someone listening or are they more solely concerned by themselves? Which I think is something we've probably all uh, experienced as adults, but I think that's probably like weeds people out naturally. I've lost nearly all of my friendships throughout this accident. Yeah, it is. And it's also, um, you know, it's opened up a lot of new relationships and opportunities in my life too. So it's been really painful, but thanks to therapy, I know that it's not really about me. And, you know, when I'm talking about, you know, boundaries and my needs, 
you know, before I really prided myself on not having needs. I was the flexible one. I could just go with the flow. I don't really care where we go or what we do. Like I would just super easy to be friends with someone when they'll do whatever you want on your yeah, day. Exactly. And that's what I did. And, you know, so there's been that disruption in, in life with, you know, putting now I'm very solid, like I'm putting my needs first and I have to deal with that inner dialogue that I have around, oh, that's selfish or, oh, I'm high maintenance now or this or that. And I, I counteract that with using affirmations and mantras and other mindfulness exercises to remind myself that, my health and my well-being is important. You know, my needs matter. And, you know, it's reprogramming my brain from my earliest memories of when and I was told through various ways that that wasn't the case. This has been such a good episode. <laughs> I know. I'm well, really and into it's this. so it's so relatable. You don't necessarily need to have this invisible illness for this to be relatable, right? For you, it your TBI brought you forth mm -hmm. to experience this. And I think people sometimes just have other traumas yes. uh, or they have no traumas and they still can. Not yet. <laughs> Everybody has a trauma. There's still time. <laughs> there is. I, I, think, I think some amount of <laughs> trauma really is healthy, up. honestly, right? Oh God, builds character, I guess. Does it it? Well, I, I think that's a great way too. You know, all of our traumas look different. You know, but I, I actually do believe that everyone on earth and, you know, even if we talk about, you know, the coronavirus pandemic, everyone has been through some sort of trauma with, with COVID, you know, their schools shut down and they were homeschooled for a while or, you know, job uncertainty or loved one's health or even just that fear of, you know, one's own well-being. So, you know, I do think we've all experienced some sort of trauma and there's should be no shame in in recognizing that and in you know getting maybe professional help to to work through that and um, I wish that I'd had the opportunity before my accident to deal with some of this old stuff I think it was Courtney who mentioned it's like everything you know comes up at once if you suppress it it comes back later it's like we think we're yes. doing this valiant thing by pushing it down and and continuing forward at the pace in which we were going prior to whatever the trauma mm -hmm. was and at the end of the day it's like i can tell you from personal experience that only lasts so long yeah. and it all comes back up later if you don't deal with it so my opinion is like wait before you get back on the horse like a minute um so that you can actually actually heal yourself and then hop back on and and you know, keep going, but it really isn't, you can't just do it unless you're a full-blown sociopath. You can't just do it with no emotional repercussions. It's, it's so just true. not life. I hope we can be the generation of not brushing stuff under the rug. Mm -hmm. I feel like our parents, I feel like we were children of the generation of get up, put your lipstick oh on, my God. get out the door, Seriously. wipe your tears away. Let's go. You can. And What do you have to cry about? Be a man. Suck it mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and also I think the weird, uh, at least this is my own experience. I can't speak for anybody else, but I come from a very Italian family. I come from a family from Brooklyn Italian who are just your real life stereotypes and take that however you want. But um, my mom, like if we get into a fight or we have any kind of combative conversation, she can move on with it the next day, like it's never happened. Mm -hmm. 
And to me, I, I used to do that. And that used to be, that's one of the main reasons why I got sucked so deep into a bad marriage was like, oh, well, that happened. I need to move forth. I need to just truck on. I need yes. to benefit my and children. And I also think that when you are in a relationship with someone who is manipulative or is like that to some degree, it, it does, it's always like, hey, can we just move forward? Like, are we good? Yeah. And you're made to kind of feel like, yeah, we're good. Let's do it. And then like, you know, it happens again and again and again. And there you are. And and there you'll stay until you don't. But I think we're made that like that's gaslighting to an extent, right? It's just like, you're good. Like we move forward. We're good. We're good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in today's world, I hope we're more of the, okay, let's, let's pause. Let's go our separate ways. But when I come back, you better believe we're going to talk this. We're going to talk about this. <laughs> right. I love that. Hunter. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mallory, this has been an amazing episode. I feel like we took so many turns, uh, twists and turns, but I am super honored to have had you on the podcast. I know I can speak for both of us when I say that. Dr. Meller, you have been amazing. Thank you for being so insightful and so well articulated. I mean, the things that you've said really like triggered some some things in me. I feel like we got down some rabbit holes, but I can actually say this has been one of my favorite episodes. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, it was so easy to talk to both of you. You both just have a gift at like creating a safe space. And I think that's the most important thing. You know, he'd asked earlier, you know, how can you support someone going through an invisible illness and creating that safe space where you know, there's no judgment and, you know, it's free to talk about things has just been really wonderful. So I'm so appreciative to both of you for um, your time and your energy and for getting these important topics out there. Well, thank you so much. You are one badass basic bitch and we will see you guys next week on our next episode. Bye guys. <laughs>